Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Silly Curious Podcast. I'm Garrett, and yes, I've finally settled on some podcast music. I think I've found some music that aligns with the show's goals to combine silliness and curiosity to inspire learning and spread happiness. The show asks silly questions and finds some silliness in serious questions. I previously considered using an original song composed by my mother, Valerie Bunyak, which was featured in an earlier episode of the show. But listener feedback was not supportive. One listener, Ed from Winburn, Pennsylvania, wrote me a note saying that her song sounded as if a piano had been dropped 10 floors onto a puppy. Sorry, Mom, but I'm hoping everyone will like the new music. I'm really excited for this episode. I'm traveling to Wahala, South Carolina to meet Nancy Basket to talk about the kudzu vine. The kudzu vine has a long, twisted history in the United States. I have, of course, discussed this history in a previous episode of the show, Down South, A lot of people don't like kudzu all that much nowadays, although that wasn't always the case. In the early 20th century, the U.S. government paid farmers eight bucks an acre to plant the stuff, and it was widely marketed as a miracle vine due to its ability to fertilize soils and provide a ground cover. But in 1997, the government reclassified this vine as a nauseous weed. Kudzu today possibly covers over 7 million acres of land across close to 20 different states. I'm currently writing a book, and one chapter focuses on this kudzu vine and its history in the United States. Come across Nancy Basket's name countless times in my research, and I've found that Nancy has a different perspective on kudzu than most. She is a Cherokee basket maker, artist, storyteller, and teacher. Her work has even appeared in the film The Last of the Mohicans. I'm so excited to get to talk to Nancy today. to be sitting down with Nancy Basket today. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome, Garrett. It's good to meet you and to talk about important subjects. Yeah, we are talking about a really important subject today, a subject of my dissertation, actually, which is the kudzu vine. So you know a ton about the kudzu vine, right? Yes, I've been working with kudzu for 30 years. When you moved south, did you move to Walhalla then? Nope. I moved to Union, South Carolina, and it's a half an hour away from anything. Yeah. And I lived there for about seven years. My kids went to school, and then we came up here to Walhalla. I've been here for 21 years. Yeah. You've been in Walhalla for 21 years. Working with kudzu the whole 30 years you've lived in the South. Yes. Yeah. I found it, or it found me. Yeah. You know, and you might as well use something like that. What is kudzu? Oh, kudzu. It is a long green vine growing 12 inches a day. And I've measured it on my front porch. You sit in the rocker for one hour, it grows half an inch. It covers the South. Now, the root system does get... 400 pounds big, at least in Japan, where it comes from. Here, I've only used the kudzu roots, chopped them up, and made a starch out of it that thickens soups and sauces like they do in Asia still. You actually drug the 400-pound root out of the ground, or how did you get that out of there? No, the 400-pounders are in a book of kudzu, and they do that in Japan. I don't think ours get quite that big, but we've dug 30-pounders out from the side of a cliff, and done it ourselves. When I came here, I was a basket maker for 10 years using pine needles. I found kudzu. There was a kudzu festival in the town that I moved to. They said, can you make something out of kudzu? I said, well, just wait a minute. 
and I went out to the kudzu and I cut some down and I fashioned them into a basket and a few days later they fell apart. And so I had to figure out why that happened. So I went back to the kudzu and I apologized. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm Northern. I just got down here. Please forgive me. How do you want to be used? Crickets, literally. They were all over the place, but I didn't hear anything. So I had to sit there for a while. I'd never talked to plants before. But I was determined that I was going to spend some time getting to know them. Like we should all do when we move to a new place. To find out what the customs are, the traditions. And I heard a voice a little later saying, Leave the trees alone. Use us for paper instead. But Garrett, I'm kind of lippy. And I said, Paper? I'm a basket maker. I want to know. And I just went, ugh. Nothing else did I hear. So I went home and I said, well, fine, I'll make paper. So I figured out how to make paper. And from there, I learned how to make the baskets later. I like to use something that is available out of our backyard. That's traditionally what we did a long time ago. No matter who you are, where you come from, you use what you had in your backyard. So kudzu is there and it goes down here in this ravine right now. Because we're sitting here at your home, kudzu. In our kudzu bale barn. In the kudzu bale barn uh, in Wahala, South Carolina. It's wonderful. It's a historical landmark. There's a historical landmark sign right out front. Yes. So people should come and visit during the day hours. <laughs> yes, 10 to 4, Monday <laughs> through Saturday. But you better call first because sometimes I have to leave. So we're sitting here and so we can see down where the kudzu is growing. And I toured the house today and in the home you have all kinds of products. So what does kudzu cabin designs produce? Well, here in the barn we make the paper out of the kudzu leaves. And people down there at Georgia Tech were scraping the bark off and they were doing it like they do in Asia. Eh, why do that when the leaves have so much fiber? So I make the paper down here and I take it to my home in air-conditioned comfort in the <laughs> summer and where it's warmer. And then you can make all of these designs, 300 different designs out of kudzu paper. You've got your kudzu valances in there. You can make eight-foot sculptures with eight-foot wings on each side. You saw the octana that tells a Cherokee story. Oh, it tells kids how not to go to certain places because out of respect for the people and the beings that deserve to be there, who have always been there, leave them alone. Don't cross your hairy toe over the line or you could get eaten by that thing. It's got elk antlers <laughs> and eyes and it's going to twist its head and the lights are going to turn on when I put the brain in very soon. The Octana, it is phenomenal. How long did that take? Oh, about a year. <laughs> yeah, and your work is going to be on exhibit too soon, you said? Yes, at the Native American Studies Center in Lancaster, South Carolina. Why do you think people might hate kudzu? What caused this kind of attitude towards a plant that you are able to use in so many wonderful ways? In my working with this plant, once you cut the thicker pieces, thumb or thicker down, it takes a long time to grow back. People think it's a jack-in-the-beanstalk vine yeah. that is going to grow instantly. I've had a lady tell me, uh, you can't have this in Washington State because a piece of it's going to get out. And their assumptions or something that they've heard or their judgments take over and they don't ask a person who's used it, well, how do you know it's not going to grow? I said, because I've thrown it in my yard for the last 30 years and it doesn't resurrect like that. A lot of people don't want to do the work. Come to see 
what I can do with it, what you could do with it too. I'm looking for kudzu converts. Yeah, so I was out a couple of weeks ago and had talked to some people on the street about kudzu. Mm-hmm. I was just asking them what their perspectives were. I talked to four different people and three of them had never even heard of kudzu. They weren't from the South, so they were from out of town, so they just hadn't heard of the vine. But the one person that was from Atlanta knew what kudzu was and seemed to think of it in very negative terms, is that it was kind of an invasive species. I asked this guy what should be done about it, and basically he recommended that we go out and spray Roundup on it. And he said, well, it won't work if you spray, spray it once. You have to spray it over and over and over again to kill it. I'm just wondering what makes people think that that's a good idea. Some people need to feel in control. Yeah. Why would you use a poison when you can use something else? Or you just cut it down, cut everything down from the ground and up as high as you can. And then when it grows again, just mow over it or something. Or just cut it down and use it for something else. No, I can't come to your house and rid you of your kudzu. I'm sorry, I have plenty enough here in Wahala. Well, maybe for a certain price. Well, if you're close enough, maybe. (laughs) Maybe if you're close enough. Um, I wonder if part of the reason that people resort to Roundup or wanting to kill kudzu um, without using it is because it's easier. Because the cottage industry... The work that you do is labor-intensive. Work with something. Don't fight against everything. Let's be positive. Let's be kind. Let's do something to make the earth better, even if it takes you a half an hour a day to cut something down. You can ferment your kudzu and get something else from that. Hey, you wouldn't want to drink it, you know? But (laughs) you can make kudzu wine from the jelly or from the uh, flowers. Can I be invited back the next time the wine is available? Absolutely. i got to get a winemaker to get on that, you know? You have to find a place where the flowers aren't poisoned by the city. Because of the herbicides. Because the herbicides are spray on them. So you have to understand where to go. Is there a simple way to know whether the kudzu has been sprayed with herbicides? Because I know you can just eat the leaves, too, if they haven't been sprayed. They have to be very small, otherwise they're hairy, and that's when you turn them into paper. Yeah, if they're starting to turn, you know, brown, and you know that that part's been sprayed. You mentioned the importance of thinking of kudzu as a friend and trying to be nice and kind. Trying to be kind not only to other people, but to the plants and the animals that we we share the world that we live in with. Why are these words that we use important? Thank you. Words have great power. So be careful about the words you choose because energy is energy. We all have a spirit, a reason, a purpose. Each plant does something special. As a Native American person, we see the world differently. Everything is a being. You don't take something for nothing. You're always giving back. You're always asking permission. And I'm going out collecting kudzu and I'll say, uh, which one of you want to come? I've got a class that needs you to make baskets. Some of you will want to stay here. You're the grandparent vines. You're thick and you will produce sprouts later. I'll leave you alone. And some of the plants are like distant cousins. You know, we all have a relationship. Poison Ivy and I don't get along real well, so I just leave her alone. And I understand she has a job of protecting, but I go somewhere else then. Why start a fight or why work against something when you know there's, there's going to be a consequence, a reaction? 
If we can't get along, I'm going to do something else. That's a Cherokee philosophy. If I see you coming and we've tried to work things out and we can't, I'll turn around and go the other way. There's no conflict. Some of us like drama and conflict. I'm not into that. So I love being out with the kudzu because it is a relative. I believe in everything being equal. And when we understand that we're all energy, then we have a different outlook on life. To me, it seems that not doing the work, not doing the 30 minutes of chopping the vine down and using it, not doing that work potentially has major consequences as well. Because if the other option is to spray herbicides or to do other things that are harming the environment, not doing that work, that little bit of work, seems to have major implications for a lot of the problems that we're having globally in terms of the environmental change and things along those lines, to me. To me too. If we're not going to do the work in our own yard or on our own acreage, making it better for ourselves and for the world, if we can make all this stuff out of it, then let's invite some people who might need a job who don't mind being outside because when you're outside, you can understand a different kind of energy. We're all energy. Quit boxing yourself up in a house with all your tech. Get outside. There's a terrible disease in school now that I've encountered, and it's called nature deficiency. And they'd rather play on a digital device than go outside and do some work. Well, guess what? You're going to have an hour or two a day outside doing something, bettering your own yard because everybody needs work. And if we buy into the idea that we need more leisure time and nobody needs to work or you have enough money to pay people, I don't. I do everything here. And if it's not done, it will be one of these days. I'll get the floor swept eventually. Why is the work you're doing so important? Why should people care? I went to Japan. I worked with a woman who has made the kudzu cloth for 70 years in her family. They've been making it for hundreds of years there. Why can't we do that here? Respect everything. We're all part of the same circle. We either learn together or we die together. Plants have as much sentience as an animal as a human, because we are animals, we forgot that. So if we all have a little bit of respect and not thinking that I am at the epitome of the tallest part of this ladder and everything is beneath us, we all stand in the same circle together. We can learn more that way. So it sounds like you've learned these lessons, these stories, and the system or way of thinking over a lifetime. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Goodness! I never fit into my family. I was one of the black sheep, you know? And I had to come back to ancestral homeland so I could get some long leaf needles because they were $14 a pound. Now you can pay up to $40 a pound. Hey, it's another job. Go into the forest, you know? I wanted to come down and gather them myself. I want to be connected to the land. That is where I can feel all kinds of things and hear the wind and the the water and the buzzing of the mosquitoes. So, hey, bring some natural spray so they don't eat you alive. What do you recommend for that? I had a, a major mosquito attack a couple years ago. Oh, vinegar and something else. It's an old Apache recipe I was given. Work with nature, knowing what's going to be out there, okay? Wear socks, protect yourself from the creepy crawlies that don't like us anymore. But what is your energy? I say something before I collect, go into a patch. I say, brother, sister, snake... I'm coming through. Watch out for me. I'm watching out for you. Creepy collies, poison ivy, and everything else on the 
table of the periodic elements, I mean you too, and then I dance. And I dance, and I clap my fingers, and they don't like my dancing because I've never seen a snake in the 30 years I've been out there. Now, does this actually keep the keep the critters from Most of the time. being mean? <laughs> well, you've got to be careful. You know, don't step on an ant pile. Go somewhere else. I mean, you've got to be observant. You've got to be... You're going into yeah. their home. Yeah, I spend a lot of time outdoors, too. And sometimes I do get a little frightened when I'm heading into a more rustic place where there could be... Or someplace new. So, in Florida or Louisiana... Sometimes I'll hear the boar, and they can, I think, be kind of aggressive at times, or the uh, alligators could be there. Yeah, don't be all sweetness <laughs> and light when you hear something like that. Protect yourself. You know, there's a time for that. Yeah. There's a time for going out. And not at hunting season either if you've got dark yep. clothes on. So be smart, yeah. but also be kind. And don't go try to pet a boar. Get out. That's their home. They're trying to give you a warning. When a person says, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I go, well, bless your heart. I understand that too. So you can go on your way and I'll go on mine. But maybe together we'll have another time when we can meet in the middle. What's helped you be so successful in making a career and a life out of working with kudzu? When you're given something, don't try to shape that, contort it into what you want. Listen to what you're told and start doing that because you're going to understand from the ground up. You don't get things in a New York minute or a microwave second. It's going to take some work. Work is not a bad word. If we can have an open mind and see all these things that has fed my family for 30 years, I don't have to have a corporate job. I'd probably get kicked out, you know, but I can go into yep. schools <laughs> and I can teach kids. Or kick yourself out, which is what I which is what I usually want to do when I find myself in those situations. People like you are warriors. You go and get an education because you're told that's going to make you more money or because you're interested in the subject matter. And then when you find something that you really want to pursue, others tell you, no, you can't. It's not mainstream. I haven't been mainstream a day in my life. I can live with that by using what's in my backyard like we used to do when we were farmers a long time ago. What kind of strategies do you use to be okay with being outside of the mainstream or with being the black sheep? You've said you've been doing it your your entire life. Hey, you hook up with other black sheep. Okay, yeah. Say, oh, honey, you're and not drink a black the kudzu wine. Absolutely, if you're into that. <laughs> and if you're a teetotaler, we'll make you a tea. Yeah, okay. You know, because other people have different parameters, and I can yeah. respect that. And we find kind people who want to learn with each other. Everybody has a skill, a medicine, a reason for being here. And if we concentrate too much time on things that we can't do, find something that you can do. Do three acts of kindness a day. Uh, do you have compassion? Are you happy? I am so happy doing what I do. There are so many different things that I want to do. So I'm walking two or three miles a day. I'm eating right. And I'm going to be fit long enough to where I can stir pots with people until they understand, until everybody's doing something in their backyard just because they need a hobby. They need to keep connection. So they have that understanding that the answers aren't always on television. What do you say to people when they think that their decisions don't matter or that they don't have a choice in these issues? 
Long, long time ago, the Cherokees say that people just came. We just were here. We were naked, but not afraid. You know, like that show. <laughs> and we just didn't know how to take care of ourselves. We were just sitting here. Hey, how did I get here? I don't know. And the animals, we could talk to them then. And if you don't believe that, they taught Coco the gorilla how to speak sign language. And it can be done. There's that dog whisperer on television. No, we all understand different beings differently. So the animals, one by one, start going to get the fire that one of our wind messengers made this tree burn up. Hey, they need to have some fire for food, for clothing and stuff. So the raven thought he'd go get it. He was beautifully colored. He goes over, gets too close, and he's turned a beautiful, brilliant black. And he comes back, and I'm not going to help those people. I can't do anything for them. And a couple of snakes who are pretty and colored, they go over there. They are blackened too. And they get a color from that's beautiful and black. And they come back and say, we're not going to help them either. A snowy white owl goes over there and looks in. And the smoke makes the rings around her eyes to this day. They say, well, I guess they're going to sit there naked because we don't know how to get the fire. And a little voice over in the corner says, I'll go help the humans. And they look around and they can hardly see her. It's Grandma Spider. And they say, Grandma Spider, you can't get the uh, fire because you're old, you're ugly, your eyes are googly, and your legs are skinny. And they were just dissing her something awful. She said, oh, yes, I can. I can coil a basket out of my spider silk, and I can put it on my back, and I'll go over there and get the ember. And she did it, and she brought it back, and the people had fire. The Cherokee honor the spider to this day. I've got spiders in here. They just leave their webs, you know, and they never complain about anything. They just make a new web. You can decide which way you're going to go with your abilities. There is a man who grows mulberry trees for silkworms in Charlotte, North Carolina. These silkworms have spider DNA infused into them, and the silk cocoons are spider webs. And they take that, they turn it into a fabric that the military shoots guns and it doesn't go through it. It's stronger than Kevlar. That's one purpose. On the other hand, a man, a doctor in Washington State, where I come from, is taking this spider silk, strand, making strands of it, and he is knitting bones together without metal. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to be a person of peace, willing to be happy and helping people? Or are you going to stick to the box that you don't have to be stuck in? Open the lid and come out. There's a lot of people waiting for you. And I think this is one of the great things about stories is every time you hear one, you can have a different reaction and you can interpret it differently and you can think about something differently. And maybe it's our total conversation. I got to thinking about the importance of community and that we can't do anything alone. And it's not just a community of humans. It's that we're a community of humans, plants, animals, minerals, and all of these different beings, and that it's together that we can create anything. If we didn't have the air, the water, the fire, the land, we couldn't survive. And community is like that. If you're not willing to interact with other people believing other things, how can you get out of the box? So that is why people like you and the podcasts you do help the world in a better way. Thank you. <laughs> <I'm> not sure. <laughs> That's very flattering.
Not sure that's accurate regarding my podcast, but <laughs> that's remember, something to aspire to. All right. Remember I told you that... Uh, I can be you, my own worst critic. <laughs> I'm not letting you do that. Okay. You're younger than me, and you okay. have to listen to what I'm telling you. I am telling you, you will make a change, even if it's in the life of one person. Keep doing this. It's not your job to see the seeds you plant bloom. Just keep planting the seeds. They'll come and find us. Well, that's good. I hope we can stir some pots together now. I believe we just did. <laughs> and hopefully we can keep doing it. Please do. We can have part two. Okay. Sounds good, Nancy. Thank you so much for coming on the Silly Curious podcast. You're welcome, because it was both silly and serious. The goal, ultimately, is to inspire us to learn more and be happy, because there's a lot of anger in the world, a lot of sadness, a lot of problems, and I think one of the best ways to address that is by trying to keep a little humor in life, trying to keep a little silliness, but never stopping that need to learn more and try to uh, understand more perspectives and solve some of the problems that we're facing. Yes. So I told my six children, I let them all live and they're real happy about it. And that's where you learn patience. I said, take what you can from the heart of a friend and with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. But for those kids, I had to add something. And when you blow, don't spit. <laughs> Nobody has to be the winner. We can just be silly and curious together. Thanks for tuning in to the Silly Curious Podcast. If you want to learn more, visit curiositiespodcast.org. If you like the episode, please be sure to share with a friend and help get the word out. Let me know your feedback and what topics you are silly curious about. I'll hopefully feature your messages on a future episode. Please hit the subscribe button now wherever you listen to your podcasts.